I use this example a lot, and I believe it was Charles Spurgeon said, a broken clock tells the right time twice a day. We can fake it. We're really good at that. We're really good at showing up on a Sunday or a Wednesday and turning on the Christianity for an hour or so. What we're talking about here is a real relationship with Jesus Christ that is every day of the week, that he is your Savior in all that you do and say. And what does that look like? So, with that being said, verse 4, Matthew 23. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garment. They love the best places at the feast, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplace, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are his brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. Do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The key point there is found in verses 11 and 12. The idea of humbleness and serving. That's the goal. Look at verses 11 and 12 one more time. He who is greatest among you shall be your servant. So you want to prove how great you are? Outserve everybody. You want to be the best spouse in the world? Outserve your spouse. Just get out there and serve him. You want to be the best employee? Just get out there and serve. Jesus set the example. John 13, the creator of the universe, got down on his hands and feet and washed the disciples' feet. That's the example. And he said in John 13, this example I'm giving to you, that you should follow this example. The greatest showed us servanthood. Look at verse 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. If you're constantly trying to promote you, there's going to be a humbleness that comes. You're going to have to learn the hard way. As we say out here a lot, if the Bible says it one time, it's important. If it says it twice, pay attention. If the Bible is repeating it three times, you better be marking that and underlining it. In the book of James, in the book of Proverbs, in the book of 1 Peter, it says this. God gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud. Think of all the people the Lord has worked with in the Bible. He's worked with thieves. He's worked with murderers. He's worked with adulterers. He's worked with liars. He won't work with pride, though. Because pride stops and says, I know what's best. My way is the right way and it has to be done my way. God says, I'm not going to work with that. So there has to be a humbleness to what we do. These Pharisees, they did not have a humbleness. They were constantly trying to promote them. Because it was all about them. Boy, do we not see that in the church today? People want it to all be about us. My problem is the worst problem that's ever faced the world. My day was the worst day ever. My life is the worst life ever. No. It's supposed to be all about Jesus Christ. What were these guys doing? Jump back to verse 4. They were putting spiritual burdens on them. Verse 4, they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. They were asking the people to follow all these rules and logistics here of what it looked like, this legalism. And what happens in verse 4? They can't live it themselves. They're a hypocrite. They're saying this is what you have to do, and they won't even do it themselves. Now compare that to Jesus' mindset in Matthew 11, where Jesus said, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. These guys had rule after rule. Verse 4, they couldn't follow. Jesus says, No, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Anytime I run into somebody who always wants to present to me Christianity as all these rules and regulations, I have never seen that. I have never seen Jesus as a picture of somebody forcing rules on me. Never. If anything, I see Christ setting me free. 
Setting me free from this bondage that I had in this world. So yeah, the Lord comes and says, guess what? Certain things are wrong. And time has shown that they are wrong. So when he says no to something, it's not a rule and it's regulation. It's I'm going to protect you. I want to watch out for you. I want to keep you safe. So that rule and regulation is there to protect you because I love you. One of my boys the other day picked up a bug that they had just killed. And they brought it to me. They said, Dad, this is the strangest butterfly I've ever seen. It was a wasp that he just killed. Now, what did I do? I told him to throw it on the ground. Why? Because I'm a mean, awful, horrible dad. I wanted to protect my child from the freshly killed wasp that could still sting him. God protects us. Anything he asks us to say no to is for your good. Anything he asks you to say yes to is for your good. The Pharisees, no. They were hypocrites. What about the next one, verse 5? But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garment. Now, you need to know a little bit of Old Testament here. In Numbers 15, the Lord talked about taking and, and keeping the scriptures with you wherever you go. So what they did is they made little boxes that they carried, and they put them on their wrist, or they even carry them on their head. They put little scriptures in there, put little prayer scrolls in there. We would look at it today as carrying around maybe a little copy of the New Testament in your pocket, or you may have an app on your phone, something along that type of line. So these people carried these passages with them. But what happened is the Pharisees basically said this, Hey, God likes it when we make these little boxes with the little prayer scrolls. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to make them bigger. So they went from little boxes to huge boxes. The boxes got so big that church tradition tells us that sometimes the Pharisees couldn't even stand up. Because they were wearing these huge boxes on their head. Now we look at that and say, well, that just looks silly. Yeah, but back then you'd be walking down the street and here's a Pharisee that is wearing boxes that are so big he needs support to help him carry it. You'd stop and say, that person loves the Lord. Wow, look at that guy. I just got this tiny little box with a couple little scriptures. This guy, oh man. What else did they do? They took their robes. See, in Deuteronomy 11, the Lord wanted them to have blue tassels at the end of their robes. And you can go study it out. But it was a great picture of the Lord and had great symbolism. And it would always remind them to think about the Lord. Well, what the Pharisees did was this. Oh, if God wanted us to have some little tassels on the robe, well, if we really loved him, guess what we'd have? Big tassels on the robe. So their robes just kept getting bigger and more flowing with bigger tassels. So now you're walking down the street. You see a guy that can barely walk because the boxes are so huge on his wrists and his head. He's got a robe that's so big it looks like it's a wedding dress. We've got to have somebody help carry it. We look at that and say, come on. That's a relationship with the Lord? That's what they thought. They were doing all this stuff for Attention. Same thing still happens today. People do it for attention. We use this joke a lot. How do I know you're doing so great in the Lord? Because you constantly keep telling me how great you're doing in the Lord. Well, Pharisees, you have to love the Lord. Look at those boxes. Look at those robes. No. What else we got? Verse 6. They love the best places at the feast, the best seats in the synagogues. What they would do is they'd build little thrones that they would put up near the front of the synagogue. So that way when people were sitting there listening to the reading, their throne was above everybody else. So everybody would see them. They love the greetings. Verse 7, being called rabbi, teacher, father. Now that word rabbi is really interesting. That word literally means master or great one. So that term works for Jesus. But can you imagine back then, oh, please call me great one. That doesn't come across real well. 
Hey, who serves out there at harvest? Oh, that's Master James, the great one. Sounds like it's a Jedi or something. So they love the titles. That word teacher also meant master, instructor, father, spiritual father. Jesus says, stop with this. You want a great one? His name is God. You want a father? That's your heavenly father. Teacher, that's me. Jesus, I'm your teaching you. The problem is these guys lived their life for the attention and the glory. They dressed it. They put the boxes. They wanted the titles. They wanted the seats. And it was all about them. But really, verses 11 and 12 are trying to tell you what? You want to be great? Then start serving people. Be like Jesus. Get on your hands and feet and wash feet. Remember that this week. Who do you need to humble yourself to? Who do you need to humble yourself to and say, hey, how can I serve you? Or who do you need to humble yourself with and say, I need help? Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to ask for forgiveness? What do you need to do? It's that season of humbleness where Jesus said, that's how you know when you're a real follower of me. It's not about who wins the fight or the argument. It's about representing Christ. So that's what they were doing. Jesus hates the hypocrisy. So what he does now is he pronounces eight woes on them. Woe, W-O-E. And it means sorrow. It means grief. Here's the eight things that they were doing. Let's go ahead and start right now in verse 13. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. They cared nothing about the spiritual condition of people. They didn't care if people got saved or went deeper. Nothing. It all was about them. They did not have a heart for people. Shut the door to them. They don't care as long as they look good. It always blows my mind when I run into someone who claims to be a born-again believer, but they don't have a heart for people, for the lost. It's all about them. That's all they think about is their life. And how is this going to affect me? How is this going to affect my time off? How is this going to affect my day? How is this going to be too difficult? Christianity from the beginning is about putting other people first and stopping and saying, just like Jesus died for me, I'm going to die to my life, my dreams, my desires, and say, Lord, I just want to serve you. That's what it comes down to. What about the next one, verse 14? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you receive greater condemnation. Some of you may have that passage, some of you may not. Depends on the translation issues. If you have NIV, NLT, you probably don't. That same passage, though, is in other verses in Mark 12, verse 40. So it's not really an issue of whether it's in there or not. But the cushion that comes up is these guys were greedy. They would look in verse 14, and they would see a recent widow, and they would say, hey... Got a way to make a quick buck. She's going to be short on money. We'll show up. We'll act very holy. Say the Lord has use of this. And then we'll make pretense with a long prayer. Have you ever run into those people that are so absolutely spiritual, but that spiritualness just hides sin? It always fascinates me when I run into somebody who tells me they prayed about something, and the Lord led them to do something that is completely unbiblical. How can the Lord lead you to do something that goes against what the Bible says? The Lord would not do that. Would not do that. I had a guy years ago that came to me, and he was very frustrated with the Lord. He just would pop out on a regular basis. He would not come to church, but he would just kind of show up. And so we'd go in my office and we'd talk. And the last time he came, he was frustrated at the Lord. He was frustrated at the Lord because this guy got in trouble for breaking and entering, and he did time for it. And he blamed the Lord for it. How is this God's fault? And I'm not making this story up at all. He goes, Jesus appeared to me in a dream 
and told me how to break in to get what I wanted and what I needed. So if the Lord led me to do it, how am I wrong? I don't even know what to say to that. Here's Pastor Rich's number. You know, call him and run it by him. And... He was upset. The Lord led me. I'm just telling you right now, be careful with thus saith the Lord. See, the Old Testament handled it really great. In the Old Testament, if you said the Lord said and it proved to be false, they stoned you. It really cut down on people saying the Lord led. What happens here, though, is in verse 14, well, we're going to make this long prayer and we're going to look good, we're going to sound good. No, you're not. You're covering up sin. You're covering up greed. Next one, verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. So you're out there witnessing, ministering. Why? So you can look good. You want converts. Why? To make you look good. It's not about the Lord. It's about the pride. It's about the numbers. But we see that a lot in ministries and churches. It's not about the people. It's about the pastor. It's about the ministry. It's about the church. Let's promote that. No, let's quit promoting that. And let's promote Jesus Christ. That's what matters. And what matters is people getting saved and coming to know Him. Verse 16. Woe to you blind guides who say, Whoever swears by the temple does nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? Whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and all the things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. What this really is as just an adult, spiritual version of crossing your fingers when you say something. Layden just discovered that, our fourth son. I don't know where he picked it up from, but he just went through a season not too long ago where he would just look at you and basically tell the most outright lies you've ever heard. Layden, that's not true. And then he'd smile and giggle. Buddy, this isn't funny. He goes, it's okay, I had my fingers crossed. Where did you get this from? Spiritually, that's what these people were doing. You know what? I want to look really important. So I swear by the temple, I will donate half of my goods to the poor. And you do this publicly in front of the synagogue. Everybody claps and cheers. Time goes on. Someone comes up and says, you know, I haven't seen you do that. Well, do what? Well, you swore by the temple that you were going to donate. Oh, oh, well, that doesn't count. I need to swear by the gold of the temple. And that's what they would do. Haven't you ever seen people make empty promises? Haven't you ever seen somebody say, well, I I mean, I said that, but that's not really what I meant, and you knew what I meant. And what happens is it's just empty promise after empty promise. The Lord is coming back and saying, listen, I know your heart. You're saying these words to get attention. You're saying these words to get glory and pats on the back. They're false words. See, you can fool other people with false words. You know, I know as a pastor, if I go up to somebody and I'm concerned about them spiritually, if they just say the right thing, I'll walk away, okay. You know, Pastor James, I know, you've, you know I've really been struggling, but man, I had a great time of prayer last night with the Lord. And the Lord really just revealed some things to me, and I'm in a, moving in a new direction right now. So I just want to thank you for your time and energy. Don't worry about me anymore because the Holy Spirit's working on my heart. Now, just write that down and say that to me anytime I ask you how you're doing. I'll walk away saying, oh, great, Amen. I don't know the heart. Those words sound good. Amen. So somebody says, hey, how's he doing? I just had a great talk with him. He sounds like he's doing good. It was a rough season, but he's trying to move forward. See, the Lord says, yeah, I can cut through all that junk. Because those are just words. I know your heart. Remember how many times people came up to Jesus and tried to butter him up? We've talked about this before. In John chapter 3, when Nicodemus comes to him, 
And he comes up to Jesus and said, Oh, Jesus, you're amazing. You're great. You're wonderful. We all love you. And Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, Yeah, you've got to be born again to get saved. Just get right to it. These Pharisees used words, a lot of words. They sounded good. They looked good. They were false. What else happens here? Verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Okay, now once again, put yourself back 2,000 years ago. You're walking down the street, you see a typical Pharisee. Boxes are so big, it's hard to even do anything. Robes so long that it's hard to walk. And now they're sitting down to eat. Was they're sitting down to eat, they would literally tithe off their salt, their pepper, etc. So they were going to put some salt or pepper on their food. They would put it out. They would count out nine for their food, one for the Lord. So you'd walk away from that saying, these guys, these guys got it. I don't even think about that. I'm just an awful heathen. I just take salt and put it on my food. My boxes aren't that big. My robes aren't that long. They have it all figured out. What does Jesus think about that in verse 23? You have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, and mercy, and faith. You got the little things, but not the big things. Your big sin is just completely blowing out your little righteousness. It reminds me of the person that would say, well, I would never watch that. I would never listen to that. I would never read that book. But then they go home and they scream and yell and whatever. Or they go to work and they act like this. But I would never do that. You got the little things, amen. But then there's these big, blaring problems in your life that we may not know about, but God can't ignore. What were they doing? Verse 24, blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Gnat and camel are both unclean animals. So basically, here's the picture. This this Pharisee is sitting there. They've just tithed out their salt and pepper. They got their boxes. They got their robes. And a little gnat falls into their soup. Well, how dare we would ever eat that? So they work all to get that little gnat out of their soup so they can eat it. But then a camel sits in it and they keep eating. If you note, please do note in verse 24, pretty sure Jesus just made a joke right there. If you were sitting there listening to this teaching, I think you'd probably laugh. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. That's how ridiculous this false righteousness was. Look good, sound good, but Jesus is like, what are you doing? Your words are fake, your actions are fake, your motives are fake. Everything is fake. Verse 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgent. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside may be clean also. So fine, you look good on the outside, but the inside's a mess. It's a mess. No one would ever see it because we only see the outside. But inside, it's a spiritual mess. It's like the doors you have at home that you say, don't ever open. Everything else looks good, but don't open that one cabinet door, please. Spiritually speaking, they look good, they sounded good, but inwardly they are a mess. And it goes one step further. Look at verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
Because you build it. Actually, back up real quick, please. Verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Some of the most beautiful landscaped areas around here are cemeteries. Beautiful flowers that take care of the yard real nice. They have nice walking paths. It's very beautiful. All that beautifulness is covering up what? Death. So all these boxes and robes and tithings and false words, it's all covering up what? You're spiritually dead. That's a pretty straightforward point that Jesus is trying to make. As you look great on the outside, but inside you're spiritually dead. See, this is where we have to stop and ask ourselves, Okay, Lord, boy, is that me in any way whatsoever? I mean, just go back the list. What has he said? Okay, am I a hypocrite? Do I say, do it, but I don't live it? Am I doing things for attention? Do I want the pat on the back? Do I want the glory? Am I doing it for pride? Hey, everybody, look at me. You know, am I doing it for honor? Just, Just recognize me, know me, acknowledge me. What about all these woes that he went through? Do I have false words? Do I have false actions? Do I not really care about people? Am I really dirty on the inside but just try so hard to look good on the outside? Am I really spiritually dead on the inside but on the outside I look great? Verse 29, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. If we lived thousands of years ago, we wouldn't have killed the prophets. Verse 31, therefore you are witnesses against yourself that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Like father, like son. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Some translations in verse 32 say, just go do it. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Wow. Verse 33 is very straightforward. But you know what? If he'd end right there in verse 33, he'd walk away dejected, bothered, upset, Knocked down. But look at the grace of the Lord. Verse 34. Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men and scribes. He goes, I'm still sending you people. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Barakiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. As surely I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. He goes, listen, I'm still sending people to get your attention. That's how much I love you. Just to prove this point, look at verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more. You say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We know from this passage in the book of Luke, in Luke 19, when Jesus is saying this, the Bible says he's weeping. His heart is broken. His heart is broken. See, if you only look at verses 1 through 33, okay, Jesus, you're in a bad mood today. No, his heart is breaking over what's coming. And what's coming? Matthew 24 and 25, judgment. But he loves them so much to say, I want you guys to change. I want you to be different. I want you to know me personally. But here's the problem. Look at the end of verse 37. But you were not willing. You're not willing. So that's what we've got to talk about right now. Are we willing? You, you, you just read what I just read. The hypocrisy, the fakeness, what's make sure we look good for everybody else. Okay, let's just get right to it. How's the heart? 
we got to get right to that. And how is the heart? Is the heart where it's supposed to be? Are there closets in your spiritual home that you never want to see opened because you know what's hiding behind there? Is there something that you're doing that is fake, hypocritical, wanting the attention, the pride, the honor? Is there any of that? Today is the day to stop that. Today is the day to say, Lord, I am willing. I want things to be different. And that means I'm willing to make the sacrifice and to die to myself or go back to what we read here in verses 11 and 12. I want to be the greatest by being the best servant. Verse 12, I want to humble myself to exalt Jesus Christ. Today's the day to do that. Right here, right now. That's why I want to finish with communion. Because communion prepares our heart for the Lord to move and work. Now, Here at Harvest, we have an open communion policy, meaning we don't have church membership. If you're here this morning, we're thankful you're here, and we hope that you'll partake of communion with us. But there's a couple things about communion that need to be said. Number one, can you go with me real quick to 1 Corinthians? Most of the time, I just read it to you. I want you guys to look at this yourselves. 1 Corinthians, please. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. You know, Paul wrote at the end of 2 Corinthians... A great passage about looking at ourselves spiritually. You're going to 1 Corinthians 11. He says in 2 Corinthians 13, he goes, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. This is what we want to do right now. We want to examine ourselves. See, take a look at uh, verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 11. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. There's supposed to be a time of self-examination before you partake of communion. You know, what we're going to partake of here in just a little bit is just representative of the Lord and what he did for us. It's symbolic of his death on the cross. So we need to stop right now and examine. Psalm 139 makes it clear. Search me and try me, O Lord. See if there's any iniquity in me. What I want to do right now is give you an opportunity to stop and say, Lord... I want to look at who I am. Am I any of these things in Matthew 23? Am I any of it? Is, is the, the pride, the hypocrisy, the fakeness, any of that? And then in the name of Jesus, help me. I don't want to be that. Or maybe you're here this morning and you hear these ideas of sons of hell and, and serpents, brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? Okay, I don't want to go to hell. That's why we need to understand who Jesus is and what Christ did for us. To understand as we partake of this cup, this cup is symbolic of the blood of Jesus, the only currency accepted in heaven. You owe a debt you can't pay, and it has to be through Christ. See, now please remember, these Pharisees, these Sadducees, these scribes, none of them were atheists. They all believed in God, no doubt about it. But they did not want to have the relationship with Christ. You're here this morning, and I assume that you're here this morning, you're at least open to the spiritual matters of life. I tell you right here, right now, there is an eternal hell and there's an eternal heaven. We need to stop and decide. You can go ahead and bring them in, Bob. We need to stop and decide, what are we going to live for? So what we're going to do is here, we're bringing the older kids in, parents, grandparents.